The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions from a biblical world and life view. Hello and welcome to the December 14th, 2018 episode of the Out of the Question podcast. My name is Steve Macias and I have here with me Andrea Schwartz as my co-host. Today we're going to talk about the Bible's command for us to make disciples of all nations and all that we come into contact with. And that this is not restricted just to formal settings, but everywhere we go. So the question we have today is, where should a person begin telling the story from Genesis to Revelation? And our guest today is going to share his perspective on this. Andrea is going to introduce him. Thanks, Steve. Dr. Sean Mitchell has been a student of R.J. Rushduni and a faithful supporter of Calcedon for decades. As a retired dentist living in Florida with his wife, Anne, he spends a good bit of time teaching the application of God's word to all areas of life. He does this through his church and other informal situations he finds himself in. Well, today he's going to share with us his perspective on how people can develop a story, their personal story, that they can share with those who do not know Christ as Savior, Redeemer, and Lord. Hello, Sean. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you very much. The reason that I invited you on is that you shared with me an essay that you have used as a blueprint for teaching, and you entitled it The Four Questions to Consider. Share with our listeners, what are these four questions and what do you use them for? You know, I've been to many churches over the years, and I've sat through many classes on church distinctives, okay, where you'll hear, you know, what's distinctive about the particular church, and they'll go through them. And most people, if you've been around Christianity for a while, you pretty much know what they are before you hear them. So I had the idea that wouldn't it be nice if if the uh, church distinctive was more along the lines of something that had to do with sharing the Christian faith. You know, we're commanded to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And it would be very difficult to see how someone could love their neighbor if they could not or would not share with them the Christian faith. In other words, as God says, as you have been given, so freely give. So I developed these questions And I'll go through them very quickly, and you can see they they build on each other. The purpose of the questions is to help Christians develop a story that they can share with those that do not know Christ. The story should reflect the love of God and the redemptive work of Christ in their lives. Hopefully, reflecting on these questions will help us as we strive for more Christ-likeness in the area of sharing our faith with those that do not know Christ as their Savior. He was said to be a friend of sinners, and he went about doing good. No true friend of our neighbor could possibly neglect to share the most important gift they have received, the knowledge of God and what he means to us, what he has done and is doing for us now. Jesus said, if you do not gather with him, you scatter. There is no neutral position on this. We'll try to look at these four questions as the foundation of our Christian lives, responsibilities towards our culture, and personal obligation to seek opportunities to share the Christian faith with individuals in their lives. These questions may also serve to help our children and grandchildren think about making their parents' faith their own personal faith. As Paul says, 
Test yourselves to see if you be in the faith. Before we get to the actual four questions, are you saying that in your experience, at least I know this bears up with my experience, people sort of think they have to leave the idea of evangelism to the professionals. In other words, no matter how long they've been in the faith, they don't think themselves to be qualified to actually give a systematic presentation. The answer will be, well, I haven't been to seminary. I'm no theologian. Is that why you developed this? That's a major portion of it was when I talked with people about, did they ever share Christianity or evangelize? They said, oh, I'd be afraid to do that or I don't know how to do it. It was to try to give people a way to do it and something to tell. You know, you have to have something to tell, you know, before you go out and try to evangelize. And most people don't, don't have that story down in a systematic form they're comfortable with. So the challenge that I placed to people in the past was this, is that you see this idea of a systematic story that you're going to work on that's going to be your story to a certain degree, okay? And you'll, you'll find that there's, there's two passages that really relate to this, this idea of what is the Christian faith as the first foundational uh, question. And one is in Mark eight twenty seven to 29, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others said, Elijah, others said, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? In like manner, I can hear Jesus asking us, what do people say the Christian faith is? Which, of course, would include who do people say Jesus is? With a million different answers to these questions, does it not behoove us? And in fact, does it not the love of Christ compel us to have the correct answer or answers at our side as we endeavor to obey the command of Peter to at all times be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have and to bear witness of the truth? Shouldn't we have an orderly account? Shouldn't we know how to share what is truth? The other passage is in Luke 1, 1 to 4. And here's what Luke says when he's writing to Theophilus. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. I want to expand this to say that we also want to have certainty, but not stop there. Each of us needs to write an orderly account of what comprises the Christian faith so that we may bear witness of the truth in a respectful, humble, gentle spirit with those we come in contact, and also, to quote Paul, not with lofty speech or sophisticated wisdom, but with clarity, as Paul says we should, so that our listeners may have certainty like us. So those are the two passages that kind of came to mind with that first question of what the Christian faith is. And you're exactly right. So many people can't answer that. They may be very good about answering questions about their specific denomination or church in terms of, for instance, they'd be very good on a multiple choice test. But if you said, but, but tell me a story, uh, uh, you know, flesh it out, write me an essay. 
that's when they would start having problems. So I thought, why are we going through all these distinctives about our churches? And we're sitting there talking about these distinctives, and yet people can't do this very simple thing, and they're afraid to, to try to interact with someone that's not a believer because they don't have a story to tell. And so that was part of the, the push here to come up with these questions. I can imagine just from a, a leadership perspective that this type of practice is beneficial just for the believer as well. I mean, having a, an elevator pitch or a succinct version of, of your story, I can imagine would help a Christian form his purpose and vision if they could get their, their basic gospel story down to a simple story. What it gives you is something that you own. It's not something that you just sort of check a box that you believe, but it's something that is yours. And I've often thought it would be helpful if like in a, in a teenage class, let's say, that the teacher came in one day and said, we're going to write out the, the story of the Christian faith, and it's going to be this class's story. Now, it's going to be absolute truth in, in the particulars, but then what you do is you ask the class, what are the components? What would you want to, to have in your story? And you start making a list on the chalkboard, and then each week you go over one of those points and then try to make connectors to connect up those themes. You know, think about this. If you have a hobby, something that you really like to do and know how to do well, like for me it would be, it would be fishing out of Destin, Florida. I know a lot about fishing where I live and how to do it. If you were to put me in front of an audience of 500 people that didn't know anything about that, or even if they did know a little bit, and you said, Sean, would you go up there and talk to him about fishing? I could walk up there and I, and I would have a story to tell. And what's interesting, there would be no fear in me in telling it because it's my story. I know it that well. Now, can't we also have that answer to what is the Christian faith in a story that's ours, a narrative, so well we have no fear in sharing it because it's our story. We know it. Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that it's likely to be a scary proposition for people who really don't understand the Christian faith. If their orientation is, well, somebody told me that if I accepted Jesus as my Savior, which I think I did because I walked forward one time, you know, I, I would just probably say, why don't you come to church with me? There is where you'll learn about the Christian faith. So in some cases, I imagine people don't know the story from Genesis to Revelation. That's exactly right. And the thing to keep in mind also, though, is you can go to church your whole life and never hear it as a narrative that you can share. You hear bits and pieces and bits and pieces and bits and pieces. And like I would say sometimes, wow, that sermon was really good. And two weeks later, what was the sermon about? I don't know. So you have to conscientiously, objectively try to answer this for yourself. Make an account, like Luke says, an account of what you've been told, a narrative, an orderly account. You have to consciously do it because you can't just absorb it. You've got to make a class that does it or it won't happen. Because I've sat through churches I don't know how many times. Well, I even said this day in yesterday, my wife and we were talking. I said, I don't remember ever seeing in a class or hearing a sermon. And in the churches I've been in, in Christendom for the last 40 years, in which somebody was going to tell me how to share the Christian faith. Now, doesn't that seem odd? Yes. You know, just, just tell me, how do you do, how do, you do it? 
Well, That's, and if we do hear it yeah. in the church, it's men like a, a great comfort who are going out there and witnessing and asking people if they're you know a liar or a thief. And that might be intimidating to somebody who's not <laughs> confrontational like one of those guys. So, that's absolutely right, and that's why when, when we when we get to the the question of how do you share it, is you want to teach people to build bridges of trust across which you can walk truth. You build the bridge of trust with someone first before you share, and you earn their trust by being faithful and trustful and loving to them. And then at some point, you're praying that God would place on them heart to ask you, why are you doing this? Or tell me about this Christian thing that makes such a difference in your life. And you are ready because you have worked on the questions and you're ready for that time to to float that truth across there. And then you pray that God will make that word effectual in the life of the person you're talking to. So I'm going to come up with the likely objections or excuses because they could probably be either one to the proposition of writing out the story, what's the Christian faith? One of the objections might be, well, why write out the whole Bible? I can just give somebody a Bible and say, read it. How do you answer that? I would say, uh, when's the last time you did that? But basically, I would say is this. If you notice in the Bible, God made us individuals to interact with people, to have relationships with people. And And he said, be salt and light. If I just throw somebody a Bible and say, here, to me, that's basically a be warm and be filled attitude. So if someone says, well, why should I write it out? I would say, you don't have to if you already have it in your head, if you already know it well enough that you can talk about it. You don't have to, but most people don't. But it is interesting that Luke says, I'm writing at an orderly account so that you can know with certainty. And you don't have to tell them the whole Bible, everything about it. What you want to do is give them the flyover that hits the big major themes in the Bible, that there was, like the history of the world. Our, our world history is a history of there was a creation, a historic creation. There was a f- historic fall. There was a promise of restoration. And right now we live in the age of preservation and, and restoration. And when we look at Well, how, for instance, is the restoration going to take place? God sends his son. He keeps his promises from Genesis 3.15. The promise that he gave to Abraham, that in you shall the nations be blessed. The promises and the prophecies that are recorded for us in Isaiah. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And he keeps those promises. He remembers his promises. He sends his son, born of a virgin, and he lives a sinless life. He ransoms us. He redeems us. He reconciles us to the Father. He regenerates us through his spirit. He gives us resurrection spiritually, and then when he returns, his final return in history, we receive a resurrection body, and we have the final restoration of all things. So you can do it. You just need a few things to sort of flesh out, and you do it in a story form. I think and, that's important, the, the, those forms you're talking about. They're basically archetypes, right? So if you, yes. if you understand those basic movements of creation and separation and restoration, then you can take really any situation and put it inside of those categories, which is exactly. basically what Christ did in his ministry, right? He's able to talk about marriage and weddings and siblings and family and government, and he uses those same themes you're talking about. So really, you don't have to be an expert in all the nitty-gritty manners of the law. You just need to be 
able to communicate a story and find out where the person you're talking to is in their story and say, this is where God's story comes to bear in your story. Exactly. You know, I'll use that phrase we use a lot. This is not rocket science. This is faithfulness to God. When we're told, Jesus said, you guys tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and you should do that. But you leave out the weightier matters of law, justice, faithfulness, and mercy. What we're talking about here with being able to tell the story is the justice, faithfulness to God, and the mercy you're going to show by being able to tell that story and looking for opportunities to tell the story of the Christian faith, which, and I'll make this distinction, the gospel itself fits within the story of the Christian faith. So make sure when you, if you ever ask somebody that question, that they don't say, well, that's just the gospel. No, I want the Christian, I want the big story. The gospel is within the Christian story. So the gospel itself, of course, is promised in Genesis 3.15 that Satan's head's going to get crushed. It is preached to Abraham. In Abraham, all the nations shall be blessed. It is prophesied by many of the prophets in the Old Testament. And then that promise is brought to fruition. God remembers his promise in the incarnation. So we need to be able to just tell a story. But when Paul says, not with worldly wisdom, but with simplicity and clarity. And I would also add with humility. Because if you're talking with your neighbor, I want the story to be on a level that your neighbor comes over and, and he, he trusts you because he's lived with, been around you and everything. And maybe he didn't even finish college. And he says, I know you're a church going Christian person. And tell me about this Christian thing. What, what can you just tell me the story? What, what, what's really going on here? I can't trust those guys on TV. Tell me the story. And you sit down and you say, well, let's get a couple of cups of coffee. And let me tell you, what I believe the Christian faith is, because I know you've heard other people say what they think it is. It's sort of like when Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Now, this is your chance if if your neighbor asks you that question or you have that question by maybe a stranger on an airplane. And we've had that before, or someone in the public or something that you just happen to be talking with. And they say, what's the real story? This is your chance to be able to lay it out. And I would also say it's this chance, too. If you have children or grandchildren, we don't know where they're going to be in 40 or 50 years. Every parent, every Christian that's a parent should write these questions out and put them in a safe place and have them there for your great, great grandchildren because they need to be able to trust someone that doesn't have any axe to grind and say, let me see what granddaddy said about that. And there it is. In your words, this is the Christian faith, and this is why I believe it. So there's a lot of good reasons, I think, to tell this story, to work this story out. One of the things when we talked earlier, you mentioned that you wouldn't want this narrative to be hours and hours long. If you got to 30 minutes before somebody was asking you a question, that would be rather long. But it sounds like this is the prescription to how to be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you. In other words, that's really what we have to share with people, the hope that's within us. And so the story of the Christian faith should be very much tied into 
the story of our life and where we were and where we now are, and in such a way that we're not using fancy theological terms that a person might not even know. So, for example, regeneration. We know what that means, but would the average person who has never been to church or a long time ago know what regeneration means? So you have to be able to explain it well enough without necessarily having to use the term, don't you think? That, that's exactly right, because remember, if you, if you keep this thought in your head, this mental picture, your neighbor who's never finished college comes to talk with you, and they ask you the question, if you go theological on them, they're going to think you put on your church hat. What they, who they, the person they trust is you. They want to hear you. And that's why I'll tell people, look, when you tell your story to somebody, if your normal way of talking, you say ain't, do not change that. Do not cease being the person that they trust when you tell them this other aspect of your life that is in and with and around you all the time. Share it in your nomenclature. So now as far as the time, you can try giving yourself sort of a, a time limit. And what you'll find is that you can come up with a skeleton to get through 30 minutes. But if you have more time and the, the person is still wanting to hear, you can over time add to that story so the, sec the little sections can have more and more and more and more and more. So when I actually wrote out one time just to see how long it would take, I could give somebody an overview in about 15 minutes, a flyover in about 15 minutes that would hit the most important things. And I remember when you look at the passage in Hebrews, when it says what faith is and faith is the assurance of things hoped for. There's your hope and the conviction of things not seen. And you can pivot off of those two words there so that you're telling the person that Christianity is about a relationship. It's not just about checking things that you say you believe. You know, it's not a list. It, it includes many things that you believe, but it's more than that. It's a walk. It's relationship. It's God of the universe creator entering into time for you. And he, he thought enough and valued you enough to send his son to die on a cross for you. You mentioned you know, your, your neighbor with the, without the college degree, but I think that even the neighbor who's perhaps even a, a graduate of doctorate or, or advanced degrees, that the theological discussion can be a distraction because the problem that most people have is not theological. We're not we're running around deciding whether or not we're Christians because we believe in infralapsarianism or you know, different types of lapsarianism. The question is, you know, how do I raise my children? How do I be happy? How do I find goodness? How do I find purpose and meaning? And, I think your point is that story and narrative and vision is what's going to get people to where they need to be. And that that really isn't a, a Westminster Theological Seminary or, or a confession of faith type of discussion. That's, that's right, Steve. The reason that I mentioned the next door neighbor that's never been to college is because I want someone to remember exactly what you're saying and that we want to speak Clarity, not worldly wisdom, clarity, simplicity. That story, the one that your never finished high school neighbor can understand, will touch the heart also of someone with a PhD. It can touch them just because remember what this is about. 
This is about faithfulness to God. He's the one that will make that word effectual. And it doesn't matter who you're talking to. If time God's going to change their heart, he can, he's the one that changes that heart of men. But I, I want our, you know, one of our listeners to understand is, is again, exactly what you're saying. If you point this in the direction of a high theological discussion, that's not where people live that are unbelievers. They're not living there. They're living with the issues of life. And sometimes, many times, life will come up, is what I say, and slap you upside the head. <laughs> and it will slap the, the college professor just as hard as someone who hasn't been to college. And when it does, and this is what I try to impress on high school age kids and stuff, is when it does, what you want to do is be the one that shows up. You be the one that goes to the hospital, that shows up. And they're going to go, why are you doing this? And you're going to say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I just want to show his love to you in this act. You keep it very simple. And now what you can do is earn, by doing those things, a hearing to where, I want to hear more about this. You see, it's, it's really the rubber meeting the road. It's reality. And you're there. And, you know, no one on their deathbed ever thinks about Plato. I mean, mean, really, think about it for a second. And they they just don't go there. And what did Freud have to say about this? Just doesn't come up. What they're looking for is is assurance and hope. And And what's more, they say, oh, my God. They don't say, oh, my Freud, oh, my Plato. So there's this inherent understanding, especially when times get difficult, that that's their right. knowledge of God that they've had all along suddenly manifests itself. That's that's right. And and the the uh, some of some of just a few little high points on on when I was trying to work out the idea of what is the Christian faith. I started with the word relationship. Then I went to the word trust. And what I said that the trust that I have, and in fact the whole Christian faith, and this is what I believe, rests on two pillars. Number one, in the beginning, God, He existed for all things, and then secondly, His word is truth. Total truth for all of life, not just spiritual or moral truth. And we believe that truth that truth is God's declaration of reality and that that declaration is correct and trustworthy and explains everything that we see and hear, including human nature and good and evil. And then we can, we can go from there. And there's many ways that you can, you can try to come up with some ways to sort of fly, in a sense, fly over the Bible. You can have God creates, you know, man falls, God curses, God promises, God keeps his promise. Also, you can use the covenants of promise. You'll find that in Ephesians chapter 2, where you have this phrase, you are no longer aliens to the covenants, plural, that's plural, of the promise, singular. And what you do is you track, you track through the covenants, the promise of God from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And that's how you get get over that. Because people always say, well, how are you going to get all the way from you know the Old Testament to the New Testament? And I said, well, you can do it through the covenants of the promise, understanding that's the thread, the golden thread throughout the Bible that brings it a unity between the Old Covenant and New is the singularity of the promise through a multiplicity of covenants. 
Let me just throw something in here before we go to point number two. A couple of things. Number one, when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and the two disciples didn't know who he was, the first thing he did was listen and listen to what they were concerned about. And then the scripture says, and then going from the law and the prophets, he explained to them. Now, they still didn't know who he was because they were engaged in a conversation And they said, please stay with us, share a meal with us, because they were eager for more interaction. And then the Holy Spirit opened their eyes. So we have to be ready to jump in with what people are talking about. If they're talking about health, then we'd be ready to talk about how the scripture refers to ultimate health, not just physical, but spiritual health and, and the bad situation we're in. So... My my sense on this is getting past question number one might be a quite a revelation for people to say, I'm not sure I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I've got to yeah. figure out if I even know what I'm talking about. Well, and, and that's why it's probably best done in an adult Sunday school class where you can have interactions and then say, when we get done, you know, with this class, we're all going to have it. We're going to print it out and we're going to have a story that we can start to try to memorize, at least in a form that we all had a hand in putting together. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not always easy to do by yourself. I mean, I know you guys could do it, but with you guys leading a Sunday school class, you could carry a group of people through that. You see, you could carry them through and, and at the end of the thing, you could say, okay, we've, we've got a story that we've all put together the important things that we thought, you know, were important to tell and, and, and get through there. And, and I, I also like that, that passage, uh, you know, where you, you were saying, you've got to be ready. How about, how about where you have the Ethiopian eunuch? And he says, do you, and, the, and he's told, do you know what this is? Well, how would I know? And then, he's, and then he gets up there and tells him about it. So we got to, wherever that point of contact is, we got to be ready to answer and if we believe that all truth is God's truth, sometimes the point of contact with an unbeliever is not going to be initially the gospel, as you're saying. It may be something in common about how, you know, our government is not following, it's not righteous, and, it's, and, it, and there's people just, just stealing and taking. And you say, yeah, and the point of contact that you can come back to the Bible is, the Bible speaks to those things, and you start telling what the Bible says, and they say, wow, I didn't know it spoke to that. So you take whatever point of contact you have, and you pray that one day, as you continue to build that bridge of trust, one day maybe you'll get to go to the mother load question, what about that gospel thing? And then you get to explain that. But it should take some pressure off if we all feel like we've got to get to the gospel immediately with somebody. It's not always easy to do because we don't have the foundation, the context to do it in always. So we don't want to, sometimes we might feel forced. It's the same way if I asked you, tell me what the gospel is, is the first question. I've kind of left out what I want you to get to. And I want you to get to have creation in fall before you get to that Genesis 3.15 of the initial promise of the gospel that Satan's head's going to be crushed. And in the Bible, many times victory is seen as the crushing of your enemy. And that's the way it's approached in that passage. So that's why I say the gospel is within the big narrative. It is not exactly the same as the big narrative. 
I want the person to start with Genesis 1 in the beginning. Well, what I like to say, Sean, is yes, I will share the gospel good news. But before I can share the good news, I have to tell you the bad news because there's some bad news here. Exactly. Exactly. And now you've got a context for why they should listen to you. (laughs) Again, these questions, they have a logical flow to them. And they start with your neighbor asking you, what is this, you know, what is this Christian thing? You know, what's, he's not looking for a debate or she's looking for a debate, but they want an honest answer. And they think that you will give them an honest answer. So the first question, of course, is what is the Christian faith? And that's the first question we've been talking about. The second question that they're going to ask you possibly is, why do you believe it to be true? And you tell me what it is. Okay. But why do you believe it to be true? And we need to to have an answer to that. You see, it's a logical extension of the first question is, why do you believe it to be true? Sometimes we call that Christian apologetics. Sometimes we refer that back to having that defense for the hope that is in you. Be, be prepared to give a reason at all times for the hope that is in you. But it's a logical question a lot of people can't answer. But why do you believe it to be true? And people need, I think, to pencil that out. Pencil it out one time in your life. Pencil it out, you know, on a piece of paper. Make it to where this is it and you can hand it to somebody. The third question, which, which again, again would flow from your neighbor. So he's, you've told him what it is. He's asked you why you believe it. And he's going to say to you this, I think. How does this affect your life, or what difference does it make besides you go to church on Sunday? I know you go to church on Sunday because I see you leave, but I want to know what, what else does it do for you in, in, in our cultural vernacular? What, what's it do for you? What's, what's the gain on this thing? What about the rest of the week? And that's what we would call the interaction between Christianity and our culture and how you live in the law of God working into your life and being salt and light and all those type things. So you have a view on marriage that's not the same as the world's. You have a view on a husband and a wife that's not the same as the world's. You have a view on how you should treat your neighbor, how you should treat your boss, how you should obey the authorities, even when they're wrong in some cases, you know, a lot of cases. So it it affects your whole life, and they want to know how does that affect you? And then I've got five points on that to sort of help flesh that out. A, is the love of God the governing principle of my life? B, do I walk under the sense of his presence? C, do I converse with him from day to day in the exercise of prayer and praise? D, am I on the whole making his business, his worship and service, my daily priority and delight? And finally, does God's word determine my actions, decisions, choices, and answers in both my personal and public life. Am I having a Christian influence on the culture that surrounds me? And a statement that I've imparted or given to people is this. What people truly believe, they act upon in practice. The rest is just cheap religious talk. There's always that point when you're beginning to share what the Christian faith is, why you believe it, that you're then going to include this third point, which really is your testimony, your eyewitness account of how you were this way, and then God changed you. Yes. And I think that instead of saying, well, I would be too nervous, which I think a lot of people say, 
I'm sure you're still nervous when you're going to actually share this because, of course, you have the hope that somebody receives the, the, the message of Scripture and repents of their sin. But when it comes right down to it, it's really not going to be our success if they do. We're just being faithful to what Jesus told us we should do in terms of being disciple makers. That, that's absolutely right. I'll give you a little analogy that I like to use. You remember when the, the people standing around the tomb are told to roll the stone away? Do you remember that? Yeah. He says, roll the stone away. Jesus says to them, they could do that. He gives them something they can do. Now, my analogy with what we're talking about is this. You can help to, with a neighbor or somebody roll away the stone of ignorance of, I don't know what that is, or I've, I've heard Christianity is this, but it's really that. Okay. In other words, those, those, any stone that's, that's stopping the person, humanly speaking, from hearing your voice or the voice of God, actually, you can roll away some stones. If they say, well, you know, I've, I've had this problem here with, with this, and what about this? And you can answer a question. Okay, that stone's not there anymore. You can roll away some stones. Then Jesus says, come out. That's the effectual call. Only God can say, come out of the tomb. We can float out the, the gospel. We can, we can say the words and, and share it, but only God, the Holy Spirit, can effectually make that call that has that person coming out to newness of life, coming out into the light from death. And then Jesus says something else. He says, take off the, the death garments that he has on. We can do that too. And that's what I call discipleship. Now that God's changed that heart, I want you to disciple him and teach him what it means to be a Christian. So we can roll away some things. We can make a call, but only God can, can change a stony heart. Only God can make that call effectual. And then after he does, then we can go about, go to work to make that person a better disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, you try to take the pressure off of people thinking, if I say the wrong thing or if I don't say it right. But to be honest with you, most of the time they're just embarrassed because they're afraid they're going to make a mistake and be embarrassed. They're really more concerned about themselves, to be honest with you. Right. Or they're, they think that if they were more educated, they might have a, a silver bullet that could really get somebody evangelized. Or if they just studied the right apologetic, they could have the better argument. And so they're paralyzed in their inaction because they have this belief that that perhaps the responsibility for changing somebody belongs to them. And I think that's really the power of what you're saying here with a story and narrative. And it really is compatible with, with Dr. Rushtuni's ideas where the movement outwards evangelizing folks really begins with evangelizing yourself. And so you have us begin with a narrative of yourself, a, a vision for your own story and somehow from that confidence, you're able to communicate outwards. In our tradition here in Anglicanism, we have a word for that. It's called spiritual formation. Dr. Greg Bonson, who studied under, uh, at USC under Dallas Willard, who is you know, one of those spiritual formation gurus, would talk about your idea here of, of narrative and story. And he would say that the Christian uh, idea of becoming a Christian is replacing ideas about ourselves, perceptions about our own story with how Christ sees us. And I think that the practice you're describing of 
realizing and vocalizing our own story gives us the confidence to say to other people what God's story is for their lives. That, that's right. And, you know, trying to, in a Sunday school class where I'm trying to teach evangelism, let's say, or we're trying to look at apologetics, I'm trying to take the pressure off of people. And the first step is they've got to have that narrative that, that they own it. It's theirs and it's part of their life. And then you can say to them, look, now, when you're talking with someone, you may make some mistakes. That's, that's, that's true. Here's something to keep in mind, too. If they ask you a question, if somebody asks you a question you can't answer, and, of course, in a Sunday school class with a mixed group of people, it's not filled with people that have read Rush Dooney and have that level of, of, of knowledge. You've got people that have maybe have only been, been a Christian for two or three years sometimes. Somebody asks you a question you can't answer. You just say this. That is a good question, and it deserves a good answer. I don't think I can give you that right now. Could I ask some friends and come back at another date, and let's talk about that again? So you've you, you got to have the ability to sort of check that to where that's not an issue anymore. Oh, somebody asked me a question I couldn't answer. That will never be an issue again. You're to tell them it's a good, it's a good question, deserves a good answer. I can't give it right now. Could I come back, you know, later date, you know, after talking with some folks? And so you can take some of those pressures off of why people are afraid. Well, I'll, I'll embarrass myself or I'm afraid I'll have the wrong answer. Let's take those things off the table. Number one, you're going to have a story that you know. Number two, you're, you're going to understand you don't have all the answers to all the questions. And, and here's, the, here's the interesting thing. You don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to have all the answers. You've got a church of people that, uh, that want to help you fall back on the team. You know, we're a team. You call an elder. You call your pastor. You get some help. What I always tell the women that I mentor or I teach in my classes, what is the question you hope no one ever asks you? That's your area of study. That's where you've got to focus your attention. So it moves out of the column, as I really hope nobody asks me this, that you're prepared to answer it. And so like you said, sometimes the correct answer is, I can't really give you a good answer right now. But the fact that it came your way should give you an indication that this is something you should focus on. That, that's a good point because uh, God sovereignly brought that question to you. Steve, I have a question for you. Since we both live in Silicon Valley with a lot of quote-unquote educated or maybe we would consider over-educated people, do you run into people who isn't so much that they don't know what the Christian faith is, but in truth they're ashamed of the gospel? Certainly so. And they, they're embarrassed because they don't think that the Bible is a smart answer. They forget that, that Jesus was the best and most brightest of all students and teachers. And there is certainly a great deal of a shame over the intellectual integrity of the Christian faith. And I think that's another place where story and vision is important for us. You know, the Proverbs where it talks about uh, without vision, the people perish is in the context of taking the faith from one generation to the next, the Proverbs written for your children. And I think it's important for us to note that the vision it's talking about there is basically a story. What is the purpose, the point? What is the goal for the next generation? And what we see here in the Silicon Valley is 
that there's a reign of, I don't know, nihilistic thought of people who live for the sake of their careers or their Teslas or their money. But at the end of the day, at the end of a few decades, their lives are basically meaningless. But if we start our evangelism with the purpose of, of telos, of purpose, of story, then you have something more powerful than an intellectual apologetic, more appealing. You have a purpose and a trajectory for their lives. And that's really the powerful part of what you're describing here today in the, the story evangelism. You know, an interesting thing is uh, I kind of like uh, Star Wars and Star Trek and all that kind of stuff. Okay. If you, uh, if you ever run into somebody who uh, likes Star Trek, I've got, ask them if they've ever, if they saw the first Star Trek movie. Are y'all familiar with the first Star Trek movie? Not at all. Okay. I, I vaguely remember it. It's okay. A okay. Long time ago. So, but you know, if I say Captain Kirk and Spock and people like that, you kind of sure. know. You of course. Okay. First Star Trek movie, there's an entity, an all-powerful entity that is heading through the, through the galaxy and it's wiping out everything in sight. And it's heading towards Earth. So they send Kirk out there to do his thing, find out what's going on, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's just looking bad. It's destroying everything. He gets out there and they make contact with this entity. And Spock, Vulcan, he can do a, a mind meld, which is he can actually touch, you know, you've probably seen where he touches someone's head and he says, my mind to your mind, and they, the thoughts can become one. Right. He does a mind meld with this entity and finds out what it is. They had previously had been told by a message from this entity that it was called Beejer. Well, the name of the object is actually Voyager. Voyager was sent from the United States out into the galaxy to collect information. The Voyager that we sent out had run into another entity, and they had become one with the same purpose of Voyager to collect information. Viger, okay, or Voyager in this entity, have collected all the information of the known galaxy and the universe, and they're asking the question, is there nothing more? All the data, all the raw data, all the things you see, all the things you can measure, everything that's, i.e., we'd say not spiritual, everything there is that can be quantified, they have got that information. They're saying, is this all there is? And Voyager remembers that it was sent from Earth. It's, now catch this, the creator from is on earth, the creator will be able to answer our question. Is there nothing more? And what you say with your friend that's a science person and knows the story is, Christianity answers the question, and we have received the answer from the creator of all. Yes, there is more. <laughs> and then you get to talk about the spiritual side of reality. So there's, there's different ways you can sort of segue into different people's minds. But if you have somebody that likes Star Trek, saw that movie, they will pick right up on that because he's coming back to find the creator. Only the creator has the answer. Is there something more? I have to give you my pet peeve with okay. Star Trek because I grew up when it was a television show. Yeah. But if you remember in Star Trek, the prime directive was to never interfere with any other civilization or culture. And I remember when I became a believer saying, 
that's the antithesis of the Great Commission. Yeah. As Christians, we're supposed to involve ourselves in every culture and right. interject the truth of God's word. That's right. And you could, you could actually use that one and, and say, because anybody, anybody that's ever watched a lot of the Star Trek stuff knows they violate that thing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's the show every time. Yeah. yeah, they do it all the time. All right, so then there's one more question that you have, number four, and I think maybe we've covered it a little bit, but I'd like you to just state it. Okay. How do you share your faith with those you come in contact with? So we've said, I've asked someone to, to, to talk about what is the Christian faith? Why do you believe it to be true? What effect does it have on your life? And then how do you share it? And what I say in there is uh, to, to mention something that you did earlier when we were talking this is a pointed extension of the third question. We're talking about where you work, play, worship, etc. I'm, I'm talking about sharing person to person. Do you know how to share with a perfect stranger? No matter what other kingdom work you do for God, writing books or preaching to thousands, the Bible exempts no man from this very personal obligation of sharing our faith with the individuals that cross our paths. And yet, and yet, as as we talked about earlier, you know, people throw up all sorts of excuses. And what I say is. There are many versions of let me first go bury my father. And and you've probably heard every one of why you can't do it. So if you've helped them develop the Christian story, which is the first question, now they have something. They can't say they don't know what to say because you developed that story and you can develop the other answers as they go. So what you're trying to do is take away all those excuses for not for not doing it. One of the saddest things I ever experienced was I had been at one church and then I moved to another church. And in the course, I discovered that the person at the second church worked at the same place that someone I knew from the first church who was an elder. And I said, oh, you must know this person. And he said, yeah, he's a Christian. Uh, yeah. So if we're supposed to let our light shine, that means that we have to be willing to relate what's happening in our work, in our personal life, in our society with the truth of scripture. Otherwise, why were we given this? To, uh, I, I made a joke recently that people probably spent a lot of time getting the right bushel to put over their head to match the clothes they're wearing. Well, we're not supposed to go get bushels. We're supposed to take them off. That's a good, that's a, that's a, a good illustration. I tried to, I was trying to, bring some conviction in a, in, in a way one time in a class. And I said this, if you had a conversation with God and he said, we're going to go back in time here before you were a believer, before you were a believer now, and there you are, we're, we're watching you in your workplace. And now we're going to send somebody to share my word with you so that you can be converted. I said to the class, would you ask him to send yourself? In, in other words, are you the type of person that that's an unbeliever right there in that workplace and you show up, you don't know anything other than you're a Christian with the gospel. Are you going to seek out that person and share the gospel with that person? And I think a lot of people would say, I'm not sure I would, if I was an unbeliever, I would send myself because I, I was kind of quiet and not really sharing like I should. It, it is like, woo, class got quiet. <laughs> and, I, and I had to raise my hand and just say, I would have not sent myself. 
I can say that. In other words, somebody with my knowledge, with my personality, with all that I know in a different body that works next to that guy or in that room, I probably at that time in my life say, don't send, better not send me, better send somebody else that I know that's always outgoing, always looking to share, always, that's the person you kind of want. Send a professional. Yeah. Well, and, and that points to the bigger picture there, Sean, is, is that the problem is most of us are living lives not really worthy of our stories. You know, the story that we have for ourselves is so small or so narrow that it's really not a kingdom or gospel story, that we don't really believe that we have a place in furthering God's kingdom, which is why I think Chalcedon's work is very important in expanding the vision of what the Christian life is and where it applies. You see, for Reformed Christians like you and I, we have a, this really big problem because we spend all of our Sundays speaking for an hour about how we can do nothing to be saved, right? We're, we can add nothing to be saved. And so we're saved completely and only by grace. And therefore, instead of grace opening up our hearts and our lives and empowering us to do great things, grace becomes this paralysis medicine, right? It makes us paralyzed rather than makes us glorious. And um, I think the point that I'm trying to make is that if we go back to that story that you mentioned and say, yes, I've been saved by grace. This is what God did for me. And live our lives in accordance with that story, then it's not very difficult to share or evangelize. Because if we're living lives worthy of the gospel, folks around us will notice and feel it. We'll start to develop that trust because if we're living lives worthy of the gospel, we'll be in the hospital. We'll be helping out folks who are trying to raise their kids or trying to make ends meet. If we're living lives worthy of the story, we say we believe. But I don't think a lot of us really have thought through what that story entails or requires. And so we're not living lives worthy of the grace we've been given. That's a good point. My dad used to say, what you love, you talk about. Let that soak in a little bit. What you love, you talk about. And if the cross really ever gets a hold of us, as as kind of what you're saying, and we understand that grace that we've been shown, as we have been freely given, so freely give, you know, we need to finish the sentence and go freely go freely give. And, and, and like we're saying, if, uh, if, if we can make it towards part and parcel to us and not something separate, separated from us, then it's like you asking me to talk about fishing in Destin, Florida. You know, it's like, yeah, sure. Talk for an hour, you know, no problem. Wouldn't feel any pressure at all. Answer your questions. Yeah. You know, but uh, you're right. We don't, we don't live up to, you know, we really don't live up to the story. All right, before we go, Sean, what books of Dr. Rush Dooney were most instrumental in helping you formulate this? You know, the first theological book I ever read was given to me. A pastor friend gave me the Institutes of Biblical Law in 1973. And from that point on, I was also getting the Chalcedon reports. So it's an accumulation of things as far as foundational, foundational truth. I really did like his book also when he was uh, on the Indian reservation and uh, helped him a little bit with some of the, uh, some of the uh, work on that when he was doing that. I found that that's the one I've read recently, but I can't really say that any one because I've read so many and the pieces start to kind of flow together to where you don't really know where you got the ideas. There's just, there's just so many there. It's just amazing. And see, I, I listen to a lot of tapes too. 
Oh, I would say this. One one series that I listened to that was uh, actually this one this would this would be one, but I don't know if you can still get it. He had a series that was a cassette series that I got years ago. I'm talking about probably 30 years ago. And it was called Creation and the Providence of God. And it was 17 lectures. And I got these tapes and I listened to those. And they were life-changing, seriously life-changing. And I gave those to some people to listen to. And they said the same thing. Okay, creation and the providence of God, creation and historiography, creation and prayer. There's a whole list of the of those things, of the things that that I've read and listened to over the years. If anybody that hears this, that hears us talking, you've got to get that series on creation and providence, and it's about thirty years old. It's 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 really good. Steve, any closing thoughts before we close out for today? Well, certainly. You know, since we're talking about forming stories, some people might be wondering, well, how, how do I develop that story for myself? And I'd recommend a, a resource from Calcedon. If you haven't read it, go pick up a copy of uh, God's Plan for Victory by Dr. Rush Dooney and be inspired by his, his Kyperian vision. You know, this idea that there is a purpose for us. And I think it's the third or fourth chapter in that book. He talks about the different spheres of life. Uh, whether you're in the church or your job or vocation, that God's really developing your story and you have to find yourself in there. And he also talks there about how this optimism for the future of God's church and God's people really spurred all of the major evangelism of you know the last several centuries. So if you're feeling you want to find a way to get captivated or, or inspired to Get on fire for evangelism and develop your story. Go pick up a God's plan for victory. Well, thank you, Sean, again for joining us today. Steve, I'll talk with you again soon. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, visit KingdomDrivenFamily.com. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts, where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.